the evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. A very good afternoon to you on this, the 11th of December, 2023. The year is coming to an end. It feels like yesterday when I was greeting everybody, wishing everybody a wonderful new year ahead. And who knew that this year would be so fast? But also who knew that this year would be so crime-ridden? We look at what's happening in our country and we just have to shake our heads. This weekend, three Assassins, yeah, assassins, that's what we call them now, assassins, is in Kabi, were arrested in Durban. They had come all the way from Cape Town to carry out hits, um, in an ongoing turf war that seems to have engulfed Durban, Cape Town, Port Elizabeth, and even Johannesburg in the western areas, such as the Cus, um, which is known as, um, Claremont, uh, Newlands, uh, Westbury, uh, as well as Eldorado Park. It just seems that this, this, this drug-fueled war is out of control. We don't see much of it in the mainstream media. But we are seeing reports, however, about other hits that are taking place. We know that hits are on a massive increase down in KwaZulu-Natal, specifically with regards to politicians. Politicians are being taken out. And this, we, we, we don't see as being between rival political parties, rather people from within the same political parties who want to rise up the list. Because remember, we work on a list system in South Africa. You vote for a party, and dependence on the number of seats, those people first all the way down say you won 10 seats for that particular um, jurisdiction, the first 10 people on that list will get the positions as councillors, or in the 2024 election, we're going to look at positions within the provincial legislature and in national government. And what we're seeing is people are being taken out by their very own party members, that those party members can move up the list. Because remember, who's ever high up on the list and gets that position, either in a local council, a provincial legislator, or national government, gets to choose a lot of things, gets to decide on a lot of things, such as tenders, such as construction awards, that type of thing. When we're talking about construction awards, we've heard about the rise this year in the construction mafia where there's been hits as well. And this rise in Izinkabi, the term that's given to a group of assassins, um, which emanates out of KZN, is really a frightening um, development. In South America, they used to call them Sicarios. And we saw the rise of the Sicarios in the late 80s, early 90s in Colombia, later in Mexico. We're going through much the same thing in South Africa. Whistleblowers are, at, are targets. Um, witnesses are at risk. Their families are at risk. Police officers, 80 police officers taken out in the last three months, let alone the number of security officers guarding cash and transit. Today we're going to be covering fraud, what the year was all about, and what we can look to see happening in 2024. I'd like to remind you, of course, that the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of myself or that of High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today on uh, Confidential Brief, we're going to be discussing two studies that came out this year. The one is from Newsweek into cryptocurrency investment scams and other types of frauds that are targeting the international community. We're going to be looking at a report by the Global Banking and Finance Review, which is 
detailing trends to look out for in 2024. And we're going to start off by talking about something that's emerged this year and has received a lot of media attention, and it's called pig butchering. So what exactly is a pig butchering scam? Well, it's a type of devastating scheme that ensnares victims and takes them for all they're worth, and the threat is only growing. Digital swindles like, beam, like business email compromise and romance scams generate billions of dollars for criminals, and they all start off with a little bit of social engineering to trick a victim into doing something disadvantageous, whether it's trusting someone that they shouldn't be sending money to, or a new variation, which is the pig butchering, which is ensnaring unsuspecting targets to steal all of their money and operating at a massive scale, thanks in large to forced labor. Yeah, you heard it. There's actual call centers, boiler rooms that are operating much the same as sweatshops, where people in Southeast Asia are being used to make telephone calls or to engage with people on social media so that they can use this new technique called pig butchering. So what is pig butchering? Well, it's a scam that originated in China. Um, it, it was known as Shajopan because it's an approach in which attackers essentially fatten victims up and then take everything they've got. These scams are typically cryptocurrency schemes, though they can involve other types of financial trading as well. Scammers cold contact people on SMS, texting, or other social media dating and communication platforms. Often they'll simply say hi or something like, hey, it's been fun catching up last week. If the, responded, if the recipient responds and says, well, listen, you got the wrong number, the scammer sees the opportunity to strike up a conversation and guide the victim towards feeling like they've hit it off with a new friend. After establishing a rapport, the attacker will introduce the idea that they'd be making a lot of money in cryptocurrency investing and suggest the target consider getting involved while they can. Next, the scammer sets the target up with a malicious app or web platform that appears trustworthy and may even impersonate the platforms of legitimate financial institutions. Once inside the portals, victims can often see curated real-time market data meant to show the potential of the investment. And once the target funds their investment account, they can start watching their balance grow. Crafting the malicious financial platforms to look legitimate and refined is a hallmark of pig butchering scams, as are other touches that add such a uniqueness to this, like letting victims do a video call with their new friend or allowing them to withdraw a little bit of money from the platform to reassure them. The latter is a tactic that scams have also used in traditional Ponzi schemes, which we've chatted about on numerous occasions on the show, and sadly so many of our listeners have been victims of over the years. Though the swindle has some new twists, you can still see where it's going. Once the victim has deposited all the money they have and everything the scammers can get them to borrow, the attacker shut down the account and simply disappear. That's the whole pig butchering thing. They're going for the whole hog. It's quite unbelievable. It is so desperately sad. We saw a growth in what we call Ponzi's over the years. Ponzi's became affinity scams. And now because of people's loneliness, especially during the COVID period, people who are widowed, people who are spinsters, people who are separated or divorced, they are being targeted. Um, elderly folk, people that have retired. And the way that it gets set up is absolutely ingenious. They talk to what's called spoofing numbers, and spoofing numbers is something that we came across in the last two years, and it is it is really mind-blowing. English-speaking people are employed to work in these so-called call centers, and they target other English-speaking countries. So, for example, um, 
places in Southeast Asia, Macau, Hong Kong, Singapore, Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia. They'll set up these call centers, even in India. And they will call victims in other jurisdictions, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the United States, United Kingdom, English-speaking countries. And they will set up conversations with these individuals. Some of it is not outright cold calling. A lot of the times people click on on, on links on social media of something that may be of interest to them and they input their data and this data gets unsold to these outbound call centers who phone the unsuspecting victims. Now what makes this so unique is these spoofing numbers. If you're sitting in New York, New York for example, you'll get a call that looks as if it emanates out of New York, New York. That immediately is comforting because it's a local number so you feel that the people are in close, close proximity. Whereas in actual fact the people are sitting halfway across the world and they've bought these spoofing numbers. Yeah, you heard right. They bought these spoofing numbers. You can buy on the internet numbers that can show up on any designated target city, state or country in the world where your victims are sitting. So for example in South Africa, if South Africans were being targeted international fraudsters would do their homework. They would know that George and the Southern Cape is a retirement haven. They know that it's a lot of ex-public servants that have a nice savings. So what they would do is, is they would generate social media adverts where they choose that it goes after people of a certain demographic. So an age group, a race group, as well as the geographical location. And these people will then get this call and they can be groomed for up to six months before they, they part with their funds. It's absolutely frightening what we're seeing happening. After the break, we're going to chat about the, the, the trends that we can see in 2024. But before we get to them, before we go to break, we're going to be chatting about um, what has come out of this latest study in terms of this pig butchering and all these scams that are doing the rounds. And we talk about the spoofing numbers and how it's impacted countries worldwide. And we're going to talk about some serious, serious amounts of money. And when you find out just how much is involved in these international global fraud scams, then you'll understand why they have the patience and the time to set about, as well as infrastructure, to set about grooming individuals. You're listening to Confidential Brief. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas, and today we're talking about frauds in 2023 and what's come out in terms of global studies. On the 27th of November 2023, Newsweek published an article that brought in some very interesting statistics um, as well as what's happening on a worldwide basis. It's a very important article as it breaks down the type of syndicates that we see also operating in South Africa, either targeting South Africans or operating out of South Africa targeting foreign nationals. South Africa isn't specifically referenced in the article, but there are, are several key takeaways, and I'd like to just summarize them for you. The United Kingdom is now blocking spoofing numbers. So they've taken this positive approach this year, proactively blocking the fact that spoofing numbers exist. They've identified them and they've figured out a way of blocking them so people will no longer get calls that look as if they're emanating out of their community, whereas in actual fact they originated from overseas. Australia has already started to block spoofing numbers. And this 
and this is an incredible figure, has reduced this type of cyber online fraud by a whopping 72%. The current reported fraud involving international syndicates targeting U.S. victims grew to 2.6 million victims over the reporting period with a value of around $9 billion. But the U.S. authorities estimate that only 15% of these types of frauds are actually reported and that the true value is between $20 billion and $137 billion per annum in the U.S. alone. The U.S. has been hardest hit, and this is due to what is perceived by some as a lack of coordination between federal law enforcement agencies. It's the age of turf war. People want to go into the investigation. I don't know whether it's they want the glory, whether they believe they have better infrastructure, whether it's to say we have mandate, you don't have mandate, and it's just about who can pee the furthest. I don't know. But this... Lack of coordination between federal law enforcement agencies doesn't seem unique to just the U.S. We have similar problems in South Africa. We're going to touch on those problems a little bit later. Now, good news if you're a British citizen. This year alone, the United Kingdom has appointed 400 additional investigators just to deal with this type of fraud. The United Kingdom this, this year declared these frauds, be they cyber, digital, Ponzi, whatever the case may be, they declared them national security and economic threats to the country. That is an unbelievable development. But take into consideration that of all crimes reported, we're talking about all crimes reported, contact crimes, business robberies, everything, of all crimes reported in the United Kingdom over the last reporting period, 40%. 40, 40%, almost half of all crime reported was fraud-related. Now, this, this, is, this is taking into consideration that people report assault, they report burglaries, they report sexual offenses and other contact crimes, there's murders, and there's a whole array of offenses. Yet 40% of all crime across the board in the UK in the last reportable period was fraud. Well, the UK is taking it seriously. Declaring it a national security economic threat was the way to go. South Africa needs to do the exact same thing. We always wax lyrical about this war on crime. We hear about, you know, more boots on the ground and more people to fight crime. But they're missing something here. They're missing the fact that more boots on the ground may, you know, prevent contact crimes from taking place and may equate to more arrests. But those guys in blue that are on the ground are not investigators. They're not detectives. You need a detective to investigate the docker. Once the arrest is made, that guy in blue's job is over. He's handed his suspect in. He's booked into the cells. The docket is registered. Now it has to be allocated to a detective. The detective has to investigate it. The detective has to prove the offense that's taken place. Well, we short 8,000 detectives in South Africa at the moment. We are short 8,000 detectives. The UK has just appointed 400 more investigators to investigate just fraud. But across the board, we are short in the South African police services a whopping 8,000 detectives. Not to mention the fact that the Hawks, who are the directorate for priority, and I always emphasize the word priority, crime investigation, are only sitting at half their capacity. In other words, they only have budgets to have half the amount of people at work. 
Now, what does this mean for the investigation of cases? Well, it means that there are not enough investigating officers. It means that those that are still there have far too many dockets on their plate, whereas they could be working 50 dockets, some are working 100 dockets, some are working 150 dockets. Some of these crimes are complex financial crimes, complex. Now, you have specialized units where they've recruited constables into those specialized units to fill the seats of veteran seasoned investigators who've taken early retirement or who have been poached by the private sector or who have been allocated to work state capture cases or who have been allocated to work PPE cases or who have been allocated to work tender fraud cases. So what we're sitting with now are members that are coming into specialized investigative roles that don't have the experience or the training that are sitting there at the rank of constable. In the old days, and I, when I refer to the old days, I'm not talking about 30, 40, 50 years ago. I'm talking about 5 to 10 to 15 years ago. A detective, to be transferred to a specialized unit, had to have worked as a station detective for a number of years, been successful at that, and at least reached the rank of sergeant or warrant officer, preferably warrant officer. You've now got constables that are green, that are going straight into specialized investigative um, positions, and we, we lay the blame squarely at their feet. It's not their fault. These guys don't have capacity and infrastructure. They don't have the support that's required. And although everybody, and I've said this word, this terminology early in the, in the show, wax lyrically about so-called public-private partnerships, they are very difficult to get right. A proper public-private partnership, as defined by the Public Finance Management Act, could take years to get off the ground. So right now we're talking about informalized Partnerships. So when a partnership is informal, the the team members are not treated the same. There's no equality across the board because some have the actual mandate by the state. The others have the mandate by their clients. Those that have the mandate by their clients in the private sector cannot usurp the powers of the state. And although they want to work together with the state, the state makes it difficult. And they make it difficult because of bureaucratic red tape. It's really, really difficult. Another thing that's come to the UK that's really interesting is that they are now um, using intelligence-driven projects to disrupt the syndicates. So not only are they in engaging in thorough investigations to prosecute, but at the same time they are disrupting. Because what we normally see happens is when a syndicate gets taken down, a few of the members are are prosecuted, the other members disappear into um, the oblivion and start new call centers or new boiler rooms or new online scams or new romance scams. What we see now is intelligence-driven projects in the UK to disrupt the syndicates. In other words, they don't just want to prosecute them. They want to stop them in their tracks. They want to de-risk there and then because they know that there's other victims that are lined up. I mentioned earlier that they can groom a victim for six months. We know of somebody that was defrauded over a period of close to 10 years. The syndicate just moved this person on and on and on, and this person remained a believer. It's unbelievable. We cannot judge these people because they believe in it and they want to see the best in people. But you all know somebody, every single one of you listening to the show today, have a family member or a friend who believed that there was this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, that no matter what you tried to tell them, they believed. And it destroyed their relationships with their families and friends. They had to borrow money. And eventually it was so divisive and destructive that some family members and friends don't even speak to those individuals anymore. That is the reality of fraud. 
it's so serious that people take their lives. It's so serious that you see um, murder suicides happening in family households. And this is why I've, over the last 10 years that I've been on air with High FM, I've stressed that fraud is a crime that kills. It's not taken as seriously as murder. It's not taken as seriously as cash and transit heists. Yet the values are astronomical. One CRT heist that you see all over the TV doesn't equate to a decimal point percentage of what these frauds are costing our South African victims and international victims at this point in time. A very important extract from the report that I, I spoke to you about is in respect to the UK's approach to the serious crime. It says, and I quote, the strategy, although led by the Home Office, Britain's Interior Ministry, also involves more than a dozen departments, agencies, and regulators working together on policy issues as diverse as slowing bank payments, regulating internet advertising, and banning caller ID spoofing. And it relies on partnerships with the private sector. Now, that is a quote from the Home Secretary's report this year. On fraud and the impact in South Africa and talks about the importance of relying on partnerships with the private sector. Remember, the UK hasn't been grey listed. We have. This is something you'd expect to be coming out of South Africa. It's not. The UK is also targeting social media platforms that allow clickbait, referring in its strategy as... And I, I quote, it imposes a legal duty on the largest and most popular social media platforms and search engines to prevent paid for fraudulent adverts appearing on their services. Wow. The UK has taken this so very seriously. The US, you would expect to be taken seriously, are still the biggest victims because there's a disconnect between their federal law enforcement agencies and South Africa, who's grey listed is lagging behind and needs to do something. Before I get you worked up, let's take a break. Let's listen to some music. Let me calm down a little bit. And we're going to talk more about 2024 and what you need to look out for in terms of trends in fraud and crime. This is Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. What's so important today that we're discussing is the state of the investigations into fraud and the unbelievable, one could say exponential, but there must be, you know, a, a more expressive word, unbelievable increase in fraud across the board worldwide and how different countries are tackling it. And before we went to break, we spoke about what the UK is doing. They've hired 400 fresh investigators, qualified, knowledgeable, that are going to only investigate fraud. They've declared fraud a national economic threat. That is unbelievable. They've declared a national economic threat, and they are doing so much to try counter this. Conversely, the U.S., where there were 2.6 million victims, have not got a centralized plan like the U.K. released this year. And South Africa, that's grey-listed, is trying here and there, but there isn't, in my view, a concerted effort to try plug these issues. We've heard that the fusion center of the anti-corruption task team is up and running. General Libya spoke about it last week, but it's not enough. So much more needs to be done. And as an investigator in the private sector, I cannot explain to you 
the frustration that I experience on a daily basis. It makes it worse. It's compounded by the fact that my wife, my life partner, is also my business partner. All we do is live and breathe and talk about to one another the state of fraud and the investigation of it in this country. Glenda and two of her analysts were very fortunate this year to receive training from the United States Secret Service and are now qualified to also investigate um, crypto and cyber-related crimes from the perspective of how the U.S. are looking at it. And they trained with the United States Secret Service. And all of our staff are qualified to investigate financial crime. They understand everything there is that goes into investigating and packaging a product that the authorities can run with. But herein lies the problem. We hand that product over, and in the past, a prosecutorial guided investigation would then take place. In other words, all of the information, the evidence pack, the statements we had provided would need to be validated and verified. And it wasn't a difficult process because the prosecutor from the Specialized Commercial Crimes Unit would give instructions to the investigating officer appointed by the Hawks to run with this matter to obtain information just to validate the crux of everything is there they just need to pull bank statements they need to pull certain documentation from a legislative perspective to make sure that it's admissible and that the case is prosecutable now in the past this would mean that we would have a backlog of maybe a year to 18 months for a case to be enrolled Um, during this time the state would get ready to prosecute they would get ready to enroll the matter they would have the suspect called in the suspect would be granted the opportunity to to give what's known as Audi Ultram Parton, their version of events which forms part of the warning statement a warning statement in South Africa forms part of judges rules which is a warning to the suspect of their rights at the same time gives them an opportunity to answer to the allegations against them and if the case is going to be enrolled after that it would have taken a year to 18 months We got hit with COVID, and after COVID, we had so many different things happen. We had fraud that emanated out of PPE. We had the tender frauds coming to the fore, and of course, we had the findings of the Zondo Commission. So a unit that already only had 50% capacity needed to reallocate its members. But this wasn't just at Hawke's level. It was also at the National Prosecuting Authority level. You've got prosecutors that are working with a lot of dockets, and those particular dockets, they... Um, they need to have an inherent knowledge of. We've also seen an exodus of prosecutors from the public sector to the private sector. So you've got the exact same situation as you have with the investigators. Too few prosecutors, too many dockets, too few courtrooms, too few court days, and too few presiding officers. But there has to be a way that we can get through this. And if you look at the investigating directorate that was just given um, – arresting powers that were made peace officers and the fact that there's a bill before power to make the investigating directorate IDAC, the investigating directorate against corruption will be its new name and it will no longer be part of the NPA but separate to that, we have hope but at the moment they double digits the amount of investigators they have and it's billions upon billions of rands when we come back I'm going to chat more about what to expect in 2024 But before we go there, a message from one of our advertisers. 
Diskin Wellness Clinic for Adults offers convenience and professional care to help you manage health risks. Whether you're having your regular wellness checkups, such as blood pressure or cholesterol, Diskin Wellness Clinics offer you a broad range of health screening services, including female health screening with pap smears, family planning, and pregnancy screening. Fast, affordable, and with care. Find your nearest Diskin Wellness Clinic inside Diskin Pharmacies. Diskin Pharmacies, better health starts here. And what's important to remember to all of you is to support those that support us as a community and as a station. And Diskim has been a long-time supporter of Chai FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Chai FM. We're into the last 10 minutes of the show, Confidential Brief, and this is the second last show of the year and also the second last show that I will be on Chai FM. After 10 great years on air with Chai FM, the timing is right, and I do feel that I can do a hell of a lot more out there in the investigations of crimes so that we can try see results and we can try see the relationships between the private and public sector coming to a, a whole new era because without the, the, the involvement of the private sector to help the, the public sector at this point of our history where we are in so desperate need of positive results against crime. It just makes sense for me to invest so much more time in trying to nurture these relationships for the, the benefit of everybody because it's only through these public-private partnerships, be they informal, be they formal, that we are going to win the fight against crime. They talk about prevention being better than cure. Well, let's see if that's the case. We're going to chat about 2024 fraud trends, and a lot of what I'm about to discuss comes from the Global Banking and Finance Review in an article, 2024 Fraud Trends, by Andrew Doyle, who's a CEO of Anti-Money Laundry Compliance Software at Northrow. So a lot of this is quoted, and a lot of it is very relevant, and it, it talks to what we can anticipate. There's no escaping the fact that uh, incidents of fraud are growing and at an alarming rate. In fact, some of the statistics make for pretty grim reading. According to a report from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, up to 5% of corporate revenue is currently lost to fraud every single year. That translates to, and, and you're not going to believe this figure, $4.7 trillion globally. Now, they say in 2025, this may reach as much as $25 trillion. But right now, the loss of fraud every single year in respect of corporate revenue is $4.7 trillion. Kroll's fraud and financial crime report suggests that over $800 billion is laundered every year. While the Global Economic Crime Survey reveals that 64% of businesses have experienced fraud, corruption or other instance of financial crime within the last 24 months. Fraudsters are becoming more sophisticated and can quickly adapt their approaches, so there's a real need for banks and financial institutions to keep up to date with the latest fraud trends in order to stay ahead of them. I wanted to take a look at some of what we can anticipate in 2024. There's definitely going to be a rise in AI-facilitated techniques, AI being artificial intelligence. It'll come as a little surprise that AI-facilitated fraud techniques are bringing a new front in the battle against fraud, making it progressively easier for criminals to commit fraud, whether it's using AI voice generation platforms to create voicemail messages or leveraging deep fake video tech to impersonate a person's identity. As the tech advances, so too do the capabilities of bad actors. 
the ongoing impact of the global economic downturn. As the capabilities to commit fraud increase, so too do the circumstances in which fraud occurs because during global macroeconomic downturns like the one we are facing currently, crime, including fraud, tends to rise. As the country continues to battle the cost of living crisis and rising inflation, in addition to external actors using technology to defraud organizations, we will likely see an increase in incidents of internal fraud within organizations from employees themselves trying to cope with rising costs, including invoice fraud and forging expenses. We've also seen a rise in South Africa of fraud internally because people are paying the fraudsters. And they've invested so much with the fraudster, and the fraudsters keeps on asking them for fewer and more, fewer and more. They run out of money. They take it from their company thinking they can put it back. Or they take it from their family members thinking they can put it back. They can't. We may well also see a rise in fraudulent recruiters looking to scam job seekers out of money. Businesses, job seekers, and consumers need to stay vigilant and be wary of this as we move into 2024. Fraud defenses will get stronger, however. Thankfully, just as criminals use technology to try to commit fraud, so too do companies continue to develop technology that prevents it. In 2024, we will see further developments of intelligence systems that use AI, machine learning, and biometric verification to stop fraud. For example, machine learning algorithms will better predict potential incidents of money laundry before they occur, and automated technology will make due diligence checks more thorough and free from human error. Advances in biometrics, for example, finger vein recognition, will give us a much better chance of staying ahead of the scammers and the deep fakes. Yeah, you heard right, finger vein recognition. Changing regulation. As methods of money laundering and fraud evolve, so too must the regulation that guides anti-money laundering efforts. We've seen this in South Africa. A lot of new acts have been promulgated to try combat the fact that we've been grey listed and get off that grey list. We've established an entity called Samlet, which is a money laundering organization that brings together the banks and the public sector in this fight. And hopefully we will get off the grey list. Consequently, we are also likely to see the continuing updating of regulations in 2024 and beyond, requiring firms to devote more time and resources to compliance than ever before. And I know it's tedious. People complain about compliance all the time, but it's necessary. And with a deepening focus on ESG, business will also need to scrutinize the entities and individuals they do business with more than ever to ensure there's no direct involvement in environmental scams, crimes, human rights abuses, let alone money laundering or terror funding. Yes, guys, KYC, which is know your client, um, FICA, all the things are difficult, but compliance is so very necessary to protect ourselves. While the acceleration of AI and the global economic climate mean both the capabilities and the circumstances to commit fraud are increasing, the good news is that the tools and ability with which to combat the fraudsters and bad actors are also evolving and developing just as quickly. Banks and other financial institutions need to stay up to date with the ever-changing regulations around the movement of money and invest in the right technology to make sure they not only stay one step ahead of the scammers in the year ahead, but help win the war on financial crime altogether. Sounds, sounds, listen to me, sounds, they right there in my show, I go into sounds, it sounds so idealistic, and it sounds like, you know, we can beat this one, we can, we can, but it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's the reality of it. South Africa sadly has such incredible infrastructure, yet we don't see as much of a willingness to fight these ever-increasing crimes. We see that 
law enforcement agencies get throttled when it comes to budget. We see incredibly sounding units being created with wonderful legislation that supports them. But without the money, we can't make that difference. And until government realizes that there's actually a return on investment when they invest in the establishments of these specialized units and capacitate them correctly, only then will we start seeing a change. Because financial restitution, restorative justice will put clients and complainants back in the positions they were. And the way we're going to do that is through this collaboration. But the state needs to fund it. And if they need help from the private sector, trust me, I know the private sector is willing and waiting. Take my organization, for example. Our clients pay us a nominal fee and we go above and beyond and we provide whatever back of house requirements that the state needs. We will help them with everything from the basics of printing to the analysis of data all the way through to identifying and drafting organograms of how the crime syndicates have operated. We've done it to great success in the past, and we will continue doing it. The only thing that we need is the state to recognize the need for the private sector to be part of this, this fight and to ensure that their departments are adequately resourced, capacitated, and have the right people doing the right job. My second last show of the year, my second last show on High FM. Next week, I'm joined by David Allen. He epitomizes a true South African. He's a volunteer in his community. I call him the Sheriff of Nottingham because he's a reservist. He's a warrant officer at the Nottingham Road Saps in the Natal Midlands. But he also lectures on the international stage on um, how to read people's body language. He recently lectured Americans in America, um, all their different law enforcement agencies. So he's going to be joining us for a thoroughly interesting final show next week. Thank you to all my loyal listeners. Remember, you can follow us on social media. The show is called Confidential Brief Radio Show, and it's on Facebook. And, of course, the podcast for this particular show will be uploaded within the next day or so. Um, on the Chai FM website, which is chaifm.com. My name is Chad Thomas. Keep safe out there.